Hi everyone, today's podcast needs a bit of an extra introduction because the recording got cut off a bit at the start of the podcast. And what today's conversation is, is a wide-ranging conversation with Deacon Darren Kalama of the Marcionite Christian Church. And it starts off with me asking him about how he found Marcionitism, what it is, and what their current view of the COVID narrative is. I hope you enjoy. Sure. Um, Well, I got my start with the church about roughly 10 years ago. I was in the uh, air ambulance business, believe it or not. And I was semi-retired. And um, I think in life, when you're semi-retired, it gives you the opportunity to um, explore things maybe that you had thought about, but because you're on the, the the mouse wheel of life, you never really get the chance to explore further. And so I had that, not rare, but but unusual opportunity to do that. And one of the, the questions throughout my life that um, always kind of nagged at me a little bit was the whole issue of the Old Testament and how it related to Catholicism. And I had grown up as a Catholic altar boy, Chicago, really the whole nine yards. I mean, if you looked up Catholic guy, it would be a picture of me. Um, but the the whole issue with the Old Testament, the Old Testament God just never sat right with me. It just never made sense to me at all. So long story short, um, I had the time to explore this further. This led me into uh, someone named Marcion of Sinope, a historical figure, which in turn led me into the Marcionite Church, which I was surprised to find out still exists. And then that in turn led me to uh, their founding uh, doctrine and dogma, which is the first Christian Bible, what we call the pre-Nicene Bible or the very first Bible, which was compiled or transcribed by Marcion of Sinai back in 144 AD. And to bring the circle uh, to its conclusion, he uh, that first Bible did not contain an Old Testament, which, <laughs> you know, there I was. I was like, well, this this is what started me on the entire journey. And now I find out that it was right to have these nagging thoughts about this Old Testament and and the deity portrayed within it um, because it wasn't there in the beginning. So that long story is how more or less kind of we got to the point where we are. I uh, did get in touch with that church and um, uh, because of my circumstances, I had the opportunity time to uh, become their outreach director, which mm-hmm. is my current capacity now, and which I'm assuming is why we're chit chatting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was during this whole COVID uh, scam. I, I I started thinking, are there any churches that have come out against the COVID BS and have made public statements? So I I did a quick search on the internet. Of course, I had to use like DuckDuckGo or brave search or something like that but to see you know churches and covid were there any churches that had any statements to do with covid and i found your church the marcionite christian church and then i found a bunch of podcasts that you had been doing kind of explaining the theology 
behind it and a lot of the stuff going on in the news lately and the Marcionite Christian Church's take on everything. Um, and I was just very intrigued. And uh, I have a podcast where I try to have on people that things like that I get interested in, if I can reach out to them and they're willing to come on and let me pick their brain for a while, I'll, I'll talk to them. And so that's where I reached out to you. Um, so how long have you been doing like the, the online stuff? I, I know you got into Marcionite or Marcionism 10 years ago, but the podcast thing seems more recent. Am I, am I correct in that? It's, it is more recent and it's, um, <clears throat> it kind of gets us into the, the double edged sword of COVID because I, I would have really, I would have never gotten into this podcasting thing if it weren't probably for the COVID situation. And to be honest, I'm a little bit sick of talking about COVID just, and this is no reflection on you. I'm just saying in general, I am because it takes away from our, our, our core mission of what we do, which is, you know, bring people to the church, et cetera, et cetera. But without the COVID, I don't think we would have had the, the, the spark of interest in the church that we had because of our anti-COVID position, our, uh, position against these RNA injections, our positions against the masks and the testing. So without that, I don't think we would have had this, this, this spark of interest that we've had, but at the same time, it does take away from our core mission. So again, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, and I forgot what your question was. Uh, when did we start about a year and a half ago? Um, uh, mainly for our own parishioners to, we, we have people, we don't have uh, centralized churches, so to speak. We have what are called meeting houses, um, you know, where you've got like 10 or less people who will do a mass every week um, or meet and chit chat about scripture. And they're all over the world. Um, and the easiest way to keep in touch with them is through these podcasts. And then the podcasts started getting shared with other people and I don't know, we, we, we started to pick up some, some pretty good numbers from that. And, um, as far as our, our mission with the COVID goes, it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of stunned in general that we're, I, I, maybe I don't get out enough, but it seems like we're the only church that's really forcefully come out against these um, these vinos, these vaccines in name only. And that's stunning to me. I mean, you got the Catholics, Lutherans, Evangelicals, Episcopalians. Not only are they not saying anything about it, they're outright endorsing it. You literally cannot go to the Vatican without being vaccinated and showing your digital slave papers, your, your vaccine card. You literally cannot go to the the Sistine Chapel without showing a vaccine card. There's just something fundamentally wrong with that. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, in fact, you can't even work at the Vatican without being vaccinated. Just, the Swiss guards quit en masse because they were given this mandate. I mean, the whole it's it's surreal the the levels that this has gotten to. So this should be a hint to people that. Um, Something is fundamentally wrong here, um, but then we can take a step back and we can say, "Well, wait, what? 
it is surreal. What What is this telling us? I think we can look at this in a way as a kind of a litmus test. Um, the churches that are endorsing this, endorsing these injections and the masks and the testing and going along with having their churches closed, um, that is a litmus test that shows us who are these wolves in shepherd's clothing? Who are these institutions that are leading the flock astray? And there you have it. Any church that goes along with this is de facto adversus Christus. There's no debate about it. So in any event, we're, we're surprised um, at the amount of listeners that we get, but I per, on a personal level, I'm surprised and disappointed at the lack of churches that have spoken out. I can assure you, if you look at this from the 30,000-foot view, from the macro view, if the Catholic Church had come out against the vaccinations, the injections, this would have never happened. It would have yeah. been impossible to institute this on a worldwide scale if the Catholic Church had been opposed to it, if the Pope had stepped up, or one of the Popes had stepped up and said, it's adversus Christus, we're not doing this. We're not, we're not allowing our parishioners to be genetically altered over a ridiculous flu bug, a rebranding of the flu. We're not going to allow it. In fact, they could have gone pretty hardcore on this and gone Crusaderville and said, we're going to issue a general absolution to all Catholics to do whatever it is that you have to do to fight this. And everyone knows what that means. You know, you, it's it's a dog whistle that's pretty loud. And it says, put a stop to it right now, or we're going to go crusade level. And it would have stopped. But they're behind it. Not only are they behind it, they're actively endorsing and marketing it. It is surreal is the only word that I can come up with. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's one thing to take an injection that you may think may help you or you've done your research on, but the idea of mandating something has to be injected into your body in order to just be a normal human in society is, is very, it's very strange that so many people endorse that view. You know, you mentioned the MRNA injections, but I'm wondering why why the focus just on mRNA? I, I feel like if you're a Christian, your body is something either you can believe in the autonomy of your own body or you could believe that your body is in some way sacrosanct because it's given from God. Why why not just any injection? Why doesn't the Marcionite Christian Church take an even stronger stance that says, we are against all mandates? Why just mRNA? Is there something special about that? Well, um, we're the, the, the church from a, a doc, doctrinal standpoint isn't against vaccines in general. We are against specifically these RNA COVID vaccines and nanotechnology vaccines. Um, anything that plays around with you on a genetic level and first of all is, is an issue that needs to be explored and looked at. But, but moreover, beyond that, it's the people behind these injections. So you take those two things together. One, it's experimental. Uh, and two, the people that are behind it and funding it, um, 
These are not pleasant people. These are people who wake up in the morning and with their first cup of coffee are thinking of new and interesting ways to control people or depopulate the planet. So, you know, if, if someone like that comes up to me and says, gee, I want to inject you with something, don't worry about what's in it. It's experimental, but I have your best interests at heart. I want to <laughs> save you from the flu that, that you have a 99.99% survival rate from anyway, but I need to save you from that 0.001% chance that, you know, I, I look at someone like that and I say, you know, get out of here. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's insane to even entertain the thought and then to to actively promote it is just even beyond that level. So, you know, we we're not a church that is, um, you know, we're, we're here by circumstance. It's not like, you know, we've been out, you know, years out in the forefront saying, oh, don't you know, maybe there's autism and this and, and there may well be. But in this particular uh, circumstance, the, the, the battle lines are clear, they're drawn. So we're not a health oriented church. Um, there's enough scripture to support what you should get behind or shouldn't get behind. And this is one of the things that you definitely do not want to get behind. Yeah. Yeah. How many members would you estimate are part of the Marcionite Christian Church, and where are its are their headquarters? I saw on the website that there's an address somewhere in Greece. Yeah, well, the the headquarters is in An Alexandropolis, but the 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 there is no centralized structure to the church. It's all done the same exact way that it was done, uh, you know, the first, second, and third centuries, which was a meeting house and. It could be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a fancy house either. I mean, as long as it can accommodate, we have a guide for this, by the way, and a free online guide. As long as it can accommodate up to 10 people, you can, you know, you can hold your mass in those structures. As far as we don't have exact numbers, I can, I can tell you as the outreach director for the Americas, uh, for the Western Hemisphere, you know, we have thousands and thousands of people. And one of, one of the things that they're frustrated by is that we don't have centralized physical structures that they can go to en masse. Like in other words, you can't just point to a large city like Chicago or Louisville or something and say, you know, go to X and X street, you know, that's where the church is. <clears throat> it doesn't work that way. It may turn out, by the way, that ends up being a good thing. Because in the atmosphere that we're in, I'm not so sure that having a physical structure is the safe way to go. There, on average, there is a church burning every day in this country. Um, and the, the anti-Christian atmosphere in general is pretty shocking. So I, I don't know that we would want our people in a centralized physical structure to begin with. Um, I think for now, the meeting houses are fine. Uh, people want to get together uh, in these smaller cells or groups or meeting houses. Um, I think that's that's probably the way to go right now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, especially when you've got government saying, hey, you can't meet anymore. You can't go to church. I mean, what a better 
a subversive way to do it than just meet in your own house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that, and and you know, with with these churches, they're and I know it sounds extreme, but when 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 they start pushing these RNA injections, when they start closing their doors, when they start agreeing to no singing, no communion at mass, when they start literally making lists of their parishioners and handing it over to the government. Uh, I got to say, are you a church or are you a pizza hut at a suburban strip mall? Because I don't see the difference. Right. And, and if they want to uh, maintain their 503C tax-free status, they have to play these little games. So what they're doing is they're saying, essentially what they're saying is the money is more important to us than your eternal soul as our parishioner. And they've made their choice clear. In fact, not only are they choosing the government money, they're, I don't know if you know this, but they, they're literally throwing their doors open and creating mass vaccination centers in their church. They are injecting people with this substance into their parishioners inside of their church no i didn't know that that is it's 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 i i can't even think of something more disgusting and blasphemous than that and they're doing it in fact you know what it even gets better it, or worse the um we use the term evangelicals, and I'm sure you're familiar with the, the these are the, the the people who prance around on television, the TV preachers, the Falwells, the Hages. Some of these people have actually gotten on television and said to their parishioners, and I quote, Jesus would have taken the vaccine. Hmm. End quote. And then and then they've also made statements that these vaccines are, quote-unquote, a gift from God. It yeah. is, even, even when you forget that every one of these RNA vaccines are, the, are part and parcel of, at minimum, at minimum, testing with aborted fetal cell lines, at minimum. Yeah. Even if you discount all of that, when you get into A, who is pushing these injections, and then B, the genetic changes that happen as a result of the injections, what we're talking about here is essentially uh, circumcision, spiritual circumcision in a syringe. It's cutting you off from God, and at the same time, it's offering Satan an invitation to come in after you've severed that connection with God. Now, we're, we're getting into some pretty metaphysical stuff here, but nobody, Aaron, rolls out a worldwide program like this, shuts down the world economy, and issues mandate, totally illogical mandates over a flu bug if there wasn't something more to it. Now, right, right. You, you, I don't care if you're a Bible, a thumper Bible believer, or if you're if you're Richard Dawkins, if you're an, a hardcore atheist, anybody with functioning brain cells is going to come to the conclusion that 
there is something else going on here. Well, I mean, it, it sure seems obvious to me. You know, I don't know how deep you want to get into that. Maybe you just want to stay focused on the Marcionate angle, which is um, we have a year and a half ago, we in fact put out a press release um, and the church banned these RNA and nanotech vaccines. And it turns out that this got not only good attention, but also very negative attention to the point where, in fact, we just did a episode yesterday dealing with something that just came up, which is we were wiki slimed. Um, yep. The church never had a wiki page before. And out of the blue, these shadowy people created a wiki page just for the Marcionite church, just so they could smear it. And they did smear it. Um, in ways that may or may not be that obvious. But I tried to address some of this in an episode that we did. Um, yeah, I, I listened and, to that. and I, I thought you made some good points in there. I mean, they tr they pointed out the fact that you guys had made a statement against COVID-19 mRNA vaccines, or I think they just said in the article, <laughs> COVID vaccines. And you know, no other in no other church on the Wikipedia site do they say anything health-related about any any other church's stance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, and, you know, it, it, and, and it's not, it, the, the, there were two specific slurs that they put in there that were especially egregious. Um, one was the non Trinitarian. That is a kind of a dog whistle for theologians that says these guys are, they're whack jobs. You know, they're like the equivalent of Scientologists or something. So mm -hmm. there was that slur, which was false. And then the other one, and I got to tell you, I mean, when I first looked at the page, I thought, eh, it could be worse. But then I saw the crafty editing that went in there, especially when they when they said that the, the that pre-Nicene Bible that the church follows was made up of something called the gospel of Marcion, which is just what? And again, they, they come up with this stuff and they do it for a reason. They do it because it, it makes you look like a cult. So it, it's done with, with careful design. In fact, you know, I don't know how far out and in, in the weeds you want to get on this, but the editing that they do there is very interesting in that it, it, it's, similar to the editing that was done to the Bible, to portions of the New Testament. Now, obviously, as Marcionites, we reject the, <clears throat> the Old Testament. And by the way, just to backtrack quickly on that wiki article, they mentioned the fact that we reject the Old Testament, which is kind of true in a way. It's not some, or that we reject the, the Old Testament God as being a lesser God. I think was their exact quote. And um, that's kind of true-ish. In other words, we don't see the God depicted in the Old Testament as being a God. It's a deity. Um, there is only one God, our God, the Christian God that was re revealed to us through Jesus Christ. He wasn't God. 
our Christian God wasn't revealed to us through the scribblings of a wandering desert tribe somewhere thousands of years ago. He was only revealed to us through Jesus Christ. So anything prior to Jesus Christ doesn't apply to us. So people say, well, Darren, why, um, you know, why isn't the Old Testament in there? My answer would be for the same reasons that we don't have the book of Vishnu in there either, or whatever the Indians use, right. or or the book of Buddha, you'll find is also not in there. So these are extraneous religions that have nothing to do with us. Um, the Jews have their deity and their book, and they're welcome to it. We're just saying it's not what was revealed to us as being our Christian God. You're more than welcome to it. Nobody, and by the way, th this this also, I'm not, you know, I'm surprised I'm the one that's bringing it up. But um, one of the claims against Marcion and Marcionism is that he's an anti-Semite or that Marcionites are an anti-Semite. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It would be like saying we're anti-Micronesians. I mean, we we it's just not not our book, not our God. That's you know really all we're saying. So, um, again, you know, I don't know where we're going on this, on this conversation, but, um, specifically well, with, with, you know, with, with, with the COVID, that's kind of where we're at. We, we put out that press release and, uh, we did get that negative attention with, with the Wikipedia incident. Um, we also got some good attention, um, you know, and at this point, all we can do is is we we issue our our members and their friends or people they know we issue them religious exemptions. Um, we don't charge for that; it's free. It's a complicated process on our end to put those together and and maintain a verification uh, hotline and database for the people in that uh, registry. Um, but we've had success with that, um, especially people in the military. Wow. Um, uh, a couple Air Force guys used our relig religious exemption and were able to stay away from it. Now, this is all good. We've had these wins on the on the the war, you know, on these mandates. Um, some places, though, typically where we lose, we can't get any traction is with the testing. And okay. it's the testing where people are going to is really where the rubber meets the road. We don't we don't like this testing at all. And that's it's one of the things we banned a year and a half ago. Now, you could say, well, why the testing? Why the masks? Why the you know, the vaccines? We kind of understand. But why all this other stuff? Well, it's all if you were to look at it from from a biblical perspective. You think of the parable of the corrupt tree. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. Maybe your listeners have, maybe they haven't. But within the Bible, there's this parable of the corrupt tree. And one of the things they talk about is the corrupt tree cannot bear good fruit. In other words, anything that comes off of the COVID scam is not going to be good fruit. So the testing that you do as a result of the COVID scam, the, so the anti-social distancing, the injections, the testing... There's no good that can come from the underlying core corrupt tree of the COVID scam. 
So we essentially banned everything that has anything to do with it. And, and one of the with those is the testing. And we issued uh, religious exemptions for the testing, which for the most part, I'll be honest with you, are not being accepted by companies. They're saying, no, you have to get to have, we don't care about your religious perspective. You have to get tested anyway. We don't want our people having objects shoved up their nose. We don't know what's on those swabs. Now, I don't want to sound like some you know, whack job from the ninth sphere of, you know, some other planet. But we don't know what's on those swabs. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe there's nothing on them. But what happens, you know, at 9, 10, 20, 30 times of having those things shoved up your nose for quote-unquote testing? Well, we know one of the direct results of getting tested like that is your DNA has just now been collected. Thank you very much. And it's been collected using a government-issued ID. Go ahead and try getting one of these tests without uh, using a government ID. So they have your ID. That's verified. They know who you are. And when they pull that mucus out of your nasal cavity, they now have your DNA matched to that ID card. So we, you know, there, there's there's two levels. One is what's on the swab to begin with. The second is what happens to that DNA sample. We don't know. So we we don't want our people having anything to do with it. So long story short, yeah, we issue these uh, exemptions. They've been successful for the most part, except for the testing area. The masks have been okay. The uh, the vaccines have been exemptions have been okay. Um, but we're at the point now, I, I'm going to be honest with you, we, we're we not sure that these exemptions are even a good idea anymore. And I'll tell you why. Because let's say you get the exemption approved. Great, confetti, we're all happy, celebration, cool in the gang. But now you're in that, where you're one of the few people in that workplace with an exemption, you are now surrounded 100% guaranteed by other people who have been, quote unquote, vaccinated. They've taken the RNA injection. Now they're shedding. You don't know. Look, let me back up here a little bit. We call these experimental injections. But they've been playing around with RNA technology for the last 20 years. So when they said, well, we came up with it over a weekend, it's a miracle, operation, what was it, overspeed, whatever it is, and, and here it is, miraculously, suddenly, and uh, you can go ahead and take it. We just now invented it. No, they've been playing with RNA for 20 years. We don't know what's in that syringe. We don't know what it's going to do to you after you've been injected with it. We do know that um, babies are being infected with something from their mother's breast milk. We know that women get around other women who've been injected and their menstrual period gets weird. You know, these can just be anecdotal stories, but at the same time, we don't know what this, this stuff is doing. So you've now gotten the exemption. Happy, happy, joy, joy. You're in your cube. You're now around other people that have been vaxxed for sure. And they're shedding on you. I'm not so sure from a, from a, church perspective that we've really done you any favors now but 
you know, we, we do what we can and then we come back and we say, you know, by the way, try to stay away from people that have been in, injected. Try to stay away from these shedders. The other issue is they may take the exemption now, but they're doing it as part of a larger, what we call the BOA constrictor strategy, which is uh, tight squeeze on mandates. Everybody must get it, then, then relax a little bit. Okay, well, we'll take some exemptions here and there. Then another tight squeeze on mandates and everybody must get it. And I think it, it's in large part, this is part of a, a psychological warfare. So they'll take the exemption now, but then like we saw with United Airlines, a couple months later, they'll say, yeah, your exemption's no good. You're fired anyway. Hmm. But but by accepting the, ex the exemption in the beginning, it made it look like everything was still kind of normal. You know, we're dealing with normal people here. They're willing to accept exemptions. This These aren't crazy vax zombie nut jobs. We can work with these people. But really, it was just a facade. It was just psychological warfare to make people think that. And then a couple months later, they dumped the exemptions and said, they're no good, you're fired by. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure we're doing anyone any favors with these exemptions. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting how it's all playing out. And it's, it's. It's amazing that there's at least one church that people can go to and you've got a ton of media podcast videos to consume. And you've also what what I thought was really cool was that you also have an an onion website which you access through Tor, which is like a browser that allows you to remain anonymous. And then the onion website, I believe, can't be shut down very easily. And there's a like a forum on there where you can interact with other people. That seems to that seems to have required a lot of foresight. When did you guys come up with that idea? Well, um, to be honest, you probably know more about it than I do. Ha! No, I'm <laughs> okay. kidding. Um, we 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 set it up, um, but we haven't maintained it. It's paid for for like the next however long. Um, it's set up. It's ready to go. It's kind of our digital Alamo. Um, we fully anticipate that um, a lot of websites are going to be going away. There's going to be a shutdown. There's going to be a purge. And to get back on after that purge, you're going to have to go through some kind of government process, some kind of vetting process to get your website back on uh, for public viewing. And we feel that that's pretty much inevitable. That's where things because because we know the kinds of people that we're dealing with, the, the same people we've dealt with for the last 2,000 years, we already know where they're going with this. And, and part of that is going to be a crackdown on the internet. So we set up the tour site just in anticipation of what we already know is going to happen. And so our parishioners who are already decentralized, as we talked about with the meeting houses, they, they have this backup now that they can go to, um, you know, and still be able to communicate with us at the at, at the church and then also with um, other parishioners, with other Marcionites or other friends. 
And then at, we actually took it a level deeper than that, than Tor. The next level is something called Briar, B-R-I-A-R, like the bush. And that's a, let me just say, it's uh, it's not like spy tech or spyware or anything like that, but it just allows you to have another layer, even beyond Tor, in terms of anonymity and keeping in touch with people. In other words, even if the entire internet went, not just DNS, but and by the way, DNS is like, you know, where we look at Anchor FM or MarcionightChurch.org. That's your DNS. That's the name of your website. And that's how your IP address is translated. Well, if they if they junk the DNS portion of that, you're if someone types in your name now, they can't get to your website. So we're saying all that goes away. How are people still going to get in touch with each other? What if they really hit the kill switch um, and just knock everything out completely? Well, with Briar, your members can still be in touch with each other through Bluetooth. So if you're at least in the same area and you have your Bluetooth on, you know, you're within, I don't even know what it is. I think it's like within a mile of another member, they'll know, even if internet is down. So it's, it's, there, there's technology, you know, as, as the, as the, as that boa constrictor gets tighter, we, we and others find ways to avoid that author, authoritarian constriction. And, you know, it's not easy, but, you know, life finds a way. We will find a way to do it. Um, you know, is it, you know, let me say this. <clears throat> One of the things you'll know, and you you mentioned that you've heard a few of our podcasts. One of the things you're not going to hear ever on any of the podcasts is me or anyone else begging for donations. So the church is not looking for donations, nor is First Bible Network. Um, we are self-funded. The church... Um, although not willing to divulge where that money comes from, is in a position where they can do the type of digital outreach that they do and not have to rely on donations and not have to rely on government money like you know other churches do to maintain tax-free status. So there's Briar Project, the Tor Project, the digital outreach projects are all self-funded. Um, the only... Um, no, I'll I'll just leave it at that. I'll just say, you know, we're 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 happy where we are. Our core mission is to get is to free minds from that mental prison of that Old Testament and its deity construct. I would say that is our number one mission because from from cradle to grave, people are just, you know, they're just inculcated with that that bombardment of you know, if you're Christian, you have to believe in this 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 crazy deity from the Old Testament that tells you to cut the hands off a woman if she touches someone the wrong way. That you know, th these people even got into child sacrifice. So we, I mean, if you want to do another podcast just on that, I'd be more than happy to do it. But I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna torture you too much with it right now. Um, but no. Anyway, you know, we we let me just say on the tour thing. We're happy about it. Um, we're aware of its existence. Um, 
do you know i i believe that there are people who go there every day and chit chat or whatever it is they do on it but it's really a digital alamo so that when things do get bad and we believe they will um our people have a place to go and and of course we encourage them to go go there at least more often than i do and you know get familiar with it and you know what at the very least get familiar with tor get familiar with bitcoin um get familiar with these these tools that exist that will help you survive outside of the system because the plug is going to be pulled on the system as we know it. I mean, you can stay in dreamland all you want, or you can accept that fact and start looking at what your options are and what tools exist to help you achieve uh, your goals. And, and, there are, I wish there were more tools, but there's enough out there where you can make, if you want to, you can disconnect and you can do it. We're telling our people, get your kids out of the public schools, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, now. Do it first, do it now. Get them out of the public schools. The second thing is get out of the major cities. That is the last place that you want to be when when boy what's the <laughs> i don't want to get too dystopic here um when it really hits the fan you do not want to be in a city so you want to be you want to be out of the cities and you want to be reconnected with other unvaccinated christians now preferably these are going to be other marcionites in other words people who have the very first bible um that you know aren't into this Old Testament weird deity from that book. Um, but the point is you you want to be around people similar to you um, when this happens. And let me just say for anyone who's confused about um, theologically where the church is or where we are, um, our church is based on Sola Scriptura. So if it's not in that first pre-Nicene Bible of 144 AD, we don't believe it. So if someone says, well, Marcion said this, or he said that, first of all, every book and letter written by Marcion, every one of them has been hunted down and burned. There is no written record of anything that he said. The only thing that we know about him was written by his enemies like Tertullian. And through Tertullian's attacks on Marcion, we get a glimpse of what Marcion may or may not have believed. The problem is, it's written by Marcion's enemy. So, you know, we take a step back from that and say, look, we don't know what he believed. But what we do know is that as a result of his efforts, we have that first Christian Bible of 144 AD. So I would just say it's important that people separate the two. Um, Marcion is a historical figure who did amazing things. I mean, I don't know if people realize this. He retraced um, the Apostle Paul's route through the known world and revisited all of the churches that Paul set up. And from each one of those visits at each one of those churches, and again, remember, this is like 130 AD, 135 AD, through those visits, he was able to collect the original letters that Paul 
had sent to these churches after establishing them. We now today, even in the modern Bible, we now know those letters as Paul's epistles. Galatians, Romans, Thessalonians, Philippians. I'm sure you've heard of them. So mm -hmm. that's where they came from. And that, and that 10 of those epistles and the gospel of the Lord are what comprise the first Bible. And that's the Bible that the Marcionites believe in and that a lot of the other pre-Nicene Christians believe in. And I just wanted to say that just so people know that, you know, this isn't some cult that, you know, happened during a full moon last week. Okay. It's been around <laughs> since 144 AD. And, um, you know, it's what, what's the word I'm looking for is, is a Chicago. And I would say it's legit. So if anyone wants to, um, get that Bible, they can get it free at the very first Bible.org. In fact, you literally at this point, you could be on any browser, Safari, Chrome, whatever, and just type that in, and your search engine will find the very first Bible. So that's um, that's pretty much our story. Yeah. So, so the very first Bible does that contain? Uh, I did download it. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but there is a gospel account in there. Where, what, who wrote that, or is there any? Do they know who wrote that? Sure. That's that. And in fact, that was the issue that we had with that Wikipedia article. They claimed, all right, let me back the truck up a little bit. Our Bible, or the first Bible that ever existed prior to the Nicene Bible or the modern Bible that everyone is familiar with now, the first Bible only consisted of the Gospel of the Lord and the 10 epistles from Paul. That gospel of the, there was no gospel of Mark, gospel of Luke, gospel of John, Acts, any of that, um, gospel of Matthew. It was only the gospel of the Lord. And that gospel came from the apostle Paul. People may be familiar with this, but there's a story of Paul on the road to Damascus received a revelation. And it right. is that revelation that is the gospel of the Lord. In other words, this was Jesus telling Paul, giving Paul through revelation, the story that he was to tell to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. So that when you read that, and by the way, you won't find the gospel of the Lord in the modern Bible. It's not there. But hmm. what's interesting is that all those other gospels, the, the four other gospels and acts, all contain, and I really should do an episode on, I, I may have touched on this, but all contain bits and pieces in one form or another of that original gospel of the Lord. And it's our contention. And by the way, um, uh, Mark and Luke, those two gospels, well, those two characters, those two people, Mark and Luke, they weren't apostles. They never met Jesus. I don't know if people are aware of that. You know, people think, oh, the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, they must have hung out with Jesus and broke bread. No, they never met him. They never knew him. They were not even apostles. But right. here's where they come in. Both Mark and Luke were traveling companions of guess who? The Apostle Paul. So when the Apostle Paul was going out throughout the Roman Empire, setting up these churches, guess who was tagging along with him? Mark and Luke. 
And guess what both Mark and Luke did after they left traveling around with Paul? They both wrote Gospels. Now, (laughs) you don't need to be Columbo to figure this out. So not only did Luke, and by the way, you can look at Luke. Look at the first paragraph of Luke. Luke comes right out and says, I, I'm, I'm getting all this second and third hand. I'm writing this to you, most excellent Theophilus. Apparently, he was writing Luke as a letter, an explanation of Christianity to some Roman magistrate or friend or someone that he knew. Um, you can read it yourself. I mean, no one, no one's making this up. So the the the, the lineage of these gospels is very shaky, very shady. You know, we we're, we're you just it's just so hard to explain to people what a relief it is to finally have some firm theological footing to know where your gospel came from, <clears throat> to know what's in your Bible, the the people that are that are mentioned in it. Um, you know, we as Marcionites, we don't have to you know, go, oh, my wife um, may have cheated on me, so I need her to eat this dirt, and then we'll do a ritual to see if she was telling the truth. You know, all this Kabbalistic uh, red heifers talking carp nonsense, we don't have to worry about that. Moreover, as Marcionites, we're not put in that uncomfortable position that Christians are today where they have to defend the Jews. They have to go back and defend what happened in the Old Testament. They're put in the position of having to defend a people and a deity that are completely alien to true Christianity. That's, that's, that's a very sad position to be in. So I would hope that, if nothing else, <laughs> we help people escape that mental prison that they're in. Yeah. Well, I mean, all you've, everything you've shared with me today is really interesting, and it's, it's definitely food for thought. And it, I'm wondering, is the, you know, I've read a few books. And, uh, one was by Bart D. Ehrman and another by Bishop Spong. And they, they talk about how there was a common source, a common gospel, which some of the other gospel writers either copied from or partially copied. And they refer to that as like the Q document. Is that does that ha- have anything to do with the Mar- uh, the gospel that's in the Marcionite Bible? Um, I'm vaguely familiar with it. I I think they're all, a, a lot of the theologians, a lot of the historians are, are, for whatever reason, right now wrestling with this problem of the gospels. And they're having a very hard time, um, <laughs> you know, making sense of them and where they came from and their provenance. And so Q came up as a explanation for things that don't make any sense. But mm-hmm. they, do, they don't need to invent, just like we have our modern day Q, that complete bullshit story. Well, the, the Q of 2,000 years ago is the same kind of thing where you've got this mysterious um, hovering explanation for all that is unexplained. And that's what they're trying to use Q as. And Q is like their, you know, their 
their their their touchstone that that solves all of their problems. And it does. In fact, if you look at Acts, and apparently Luke also wrote Acts. Well, Acts was written as a way to tie up all the loose ends from all the other gospels where the, the, the stories just didn't make any sense. And that's what Acts did is it kind of was this band-aid that fixed everything for them theologically. And Q is kind of the band-aid for the theologians to fix things that don't make sense for them. When, <clears throat> when there's no need to go through all of, all of these mental contortions, there's no need for all the gymnastics. All they have to do is literally pick up the very first Bible. Everything is answered there. I, I'll give you an example. One of the biggest debates that people have is the lineage of Jesus Christ. Where, you know, was he a Jew? Where did he, you know, he can't. It's all answered literally in the first sentence of the first paragraph of the Gospel of the Lord. And it's examples like that of where a lot of this mystery is just dealt with. There's there's really no need for our again. What this gets back to is what I was saying before, which is the sense of relief you feel once you realize what you were looking for not only is there, but it's been there the entire time. Well, think about the enemies that this creates with the Judaizers over the last two thousand years. Just, I mean, it has been relentless the way that they've attacked um, not only Christians in general, but Marcionites specifically. They went after them hammer and tong after the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. That's really, that was the death knell for the Marcionites and a lot of the other pre-Nicene churches. And you know, with with the power of the Roman Empire, the Judaizers had their day. You know, things we could do a whole nother episode on this, but things really looked up for these first Christians, these pre-Nicene Christians. I would say their golden age was about 48 AD to 324 AD, because in 48 AD there was something called the Council of Jerusalem. And it was at that Council of Jerusalem where all of these Judaic weird traditions were thrown into the theological dumpster. This whole barking at the moon, full moon holidays, um, the 613 Hebrew laws, all of that were thrown out. The apostles got together and said, look, we can't, we're, this has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. We're not going to be getting any new Christians based on this. We might as well just become a, a messianic Jew cult if we're going to keep all these weird Jewish tra traditions, which is true. So they got rid of them in 48 AD. So that began the golden age for the pre-Nicene Christians. And then we had the complete disaster of uh, uh, 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. That was, I, I would say, I mean, if you had to look at a timeline, I would say probably just the worst day ever was that council. And it just, it's, and it's from that mistake that it's that, you know, we were talking about corrupt trees earlier. That is your corrupt tree right there, the council of Nicaea. And it is from that corrupt tree that we've gotten this 
bad fruit. Well, what what happened at the council? And we may, if if you don't have time, we may have to do another podcast sometime. But <clears throat> it's, is that when they decided uh, what the twenty seven books of the New Testament are going to be, or? Yeah, well, um, yeah, that 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 that's part of it. It's it's a it's really it's a it's 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 a great story. It's also a long story. But let me mm-hmm. let me just shorten it just a little bit and just say this: the first Bible that I talked about had one Gospel of the Lord and ten books. After the Council of Nicaea, it ballooned to four Gospels plus Acts and seventy-two books. So, or 66 books, depending on how you want to cut the cake. But that that should be a representation for you mathematically of had a power outage. Hopefully you're still there. Yeah, um, I can still hear it. Okay. Um, I, have, I have backup for everything except this mic, so whatever. Um, so we went from one gospel and 10 books and ballooned after the Council of Nicaea to four Gospels plus Acts and 72 books. Now, is do we have all these extra books because Jesus made extra trips that had to be accounted for and written down and talked about? No. All this material came from somewhere else, came from the Judaizers. This modern Bible that people read right now contains less than 3% of Jesus's actual words. The rest is fluff. So I would say if people really want to get back in touch with or reconnect with Christianity as it was, as it was meant to be, you don't even have to join the Mercy Night Church. All you have to do is pick up a copy of that first Bible and it will act as a as a cryptographic key. I'll tell you, I know this sounds weird, but when I have extra time, I love to take the first Bible and then compare it to the other Gospels or what I find in the modern Bible. And I can literally see where they did the editing, how they did the editing, the message that they were trying to interweave with this parable or, or that story. It's really, it's, I mean, it, it'll make a theologian out of a out of Joe Sixpack. It's that interesting. So that would be my my final word. And by the way, if you, if you want to do another show on just on the Council of Nicaea, I, I I think it would be worth your time to do it. Okay, yeah, I'll consider that. And uh, Darren, I just really want to thank you for your time today and uh, sharing all the information with us. And I I'm looking forward to putting this out there. All right, I appreciate it. And yeah, uh, anytime, happy to do it. Thanks.